Well, good morning and welcome everybody one more time to Encounter. Uh, listen, we have uh, Baptism Weekend coming up uh, two weeks from today on Sunday, and we're super pumped about this. Uh, and listen, I want to invite all of you as well into this experience. Uh, if you're ready to show the world that you've been raised with Christ, you can start that conversation by going to encounterchurch.org baptism. It's possible that many of you moved here from another area, maybe it's for school, college, what have you, uh, maybe for work, and it's like you're, you're living your faith out outside of the umbrella of your parents for the first time ever. And, uh, and you recognize that this faith is yours to own. This act is for you. This is your next courageous step of faith, uh, baptism. Uh, it's possible that over the last couple of years, uh, instead, of, uh, instead of being pushed further away from God through the events, you've been pushed deeper into the love of God than you ever thought possible. In, that, in which case, if you've realized that your faith is forged in the fire, this is your next courageous step of faith baptism, showing the world you've been raised with Christ. You can start that conversation today. Listen, today we're also finishing our series called Five Words to Change Your Life. This is a series of of five different small words that have this huge outsized impact that God uses to, to change our lives. The first one that we looked at, yes, opens new doors. The word no guards our life, our health, our faith, our finances. Um, the word help is often the difference between a small problem growing and blossoming into a major crisis. Today, in the finale of the series, it's the word sorry. And I guess I saved uh, this one for last because I didn't want to talk about it. Uh, It's difficult to talk about, especially in this place, in this region of the world, I'm told. I'm from around here, um, so it's like kind of telling a fish that it's wet. Some of you who have moved here from another area, you're like, there's this thing in the air, in the atmosphere, called West Michigan nice, where you just, at 9.15, I actually got an amen on that. It's like, oh man, where you just kind of like gloss over, glaze over the things the things that are a problem, because you would rather ignore them and wait for them to blow up later rather than have an awkward conversation today. Like, we do this all the time, and it, and it does. It, blo- it blows up in our face a little bit later, but we try to avoid the awkward comments. Some of you would even avoid the awkward conversation, like telling somebody that they have, like, a piece of lettuce in their teeth or letting somebody know that their uh, zipper is down, Right? And I want to tell you, as somebody who frequently walks around with food in my teeth, I need you to tell me these things, right? I'm relying on you. I want to know because I want to address it. True story. In fact, uh, several years ago, um, I came up here and I I delivered uh, what I assume was an excellent 30-minute message or so, but I don't remember anything about it because the entire time I preached my sermon and the prayer afterwards with my zipper down, and it was so embarrassing. The front row was laughing. I thought I was just killing it, you know, with my jokes. They're laughing at me. They weren't laughing with me. My close friends and wife was in the, uh, was in the front row then, so it just it hurt a little bit more. I, w- I wished that somebody would tell me these things because we, w- we want to know, Right? We want to know when they're on the outside. But when they're on the inside, it's like, maybe it's the West Michigan nice thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's something else that like flips. And all of a sudden, like, I don't want to know. I don't want to address it anymore. If I've got lettuce in my teeth, I want to know about it and I want to address it. But if there's some kind of a character defect, if there's something wrong in my heart, 
If there's a flaw inside of me, if there's some sin that I'm carrying around, all of a sudden, like, I don't want to address it anymore. I don't want it to come out. And why do we do that? It's so remarkably difficult to just say those two words. I'm sorry. In fact, our takeaway, our plan this morning, and I just want to let you know, is that I think that your relational success, my relational success, hangs on getting these two words right. I'm sorry. That your relational success hinges on asking and receiving forgiveness well. We're not good at it. We, we have we have an opportunity to, to grow in this area. I have an opportunity to grow in this area in the division of labor in my house. Uh, uh, we've just decided I'm never going to be the one to, to like notice first uh, that things could use some attention. Like the counters need to be wiped down, the vacuum or the floor needs to be vacuumed, the bathrooms need to be cleaned. Um, I, would just, I would just live in my own filth if it was just up to me. But by God's grace, he allowed me to be married to somebody who would identify these things and rescue me from myself. And so in the d- division of labor, uh, she spots these things and notices them and like helps me address them. And so she's getting ready uh, to go to work one day, uh, several days in a row. And I'm at home and she's like, okay, this is what I need from you. Uh, wipe down the counters, vacuum the floors, clean the bathrooms. That's your task for today. All day goes by. She comes home. Did you wipe down the counters? Oops. Did, did you vacuum the floor? My bad. Uh, did you clean the bathrooms? I'm sorry. <laughs> right? I get there eventually. Listen, I... We have the opportunity, time and time again, to offer an honest and quick apology. And like everything relationally can be different, can can be better. But we got to figure out how we do this. So during this time together, we're going to recognize, oops, is not an apology. (laughs) My bad is not an apology. We're cutting deeper than that. This is like surgery for the soul, kind of confessional time. And so I'm going to ask, Uh, For you, as you're listening to this, as you're sensing God's Spirit maybe convict you, what are some of the areas that you live in that maybe God is convicting you this morning to offer a quick and honest apology? I think for some of us, it's going to be an explosive temper. For others, it's going to be a habit of lust. For others, it's going to be an undisciplined tongue, wishing we could take those words right back. For others, it's a love of money. Horizontally, vertically, what is the area where we could learn to exercise the muscle of an apology better? As we get into this this morning, I want us to recognize that there's a horizontal factor here as it relates to one another. There's also a vertical factor. And not all apologies are created equal. Um, Some of you have seen bad apologies, especially bad, like, corporate apologies. Uh, It was an exercise bike company last year, the year before. Time kind of all blends together, if I'm honest. But it was around Christmas time, I remember that. And uh, Peloton, the exercise bike company, uh, ran an ad in which a husband gifts his wife uh, an exercise bike for Christmas, which is dangerous territory, let's be sure. Like, exercise equipment between couples on Christmas 
is dangerous ground. Uh, but, but regardless, they recognized that maybe they had to address something, and, and so they, they did so. But in their, like, company apology, uh, it went something like, we're so sorry that some of you misunderstood the point of the ad. And it's like, wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> Here, you're apologizing. I'm sorry that you're such a dummy. You couldn't figure out, you know, what our ad was trying to say. And it's like, that's not an apology. Uh, I'm sorry, but is not uh, an apology. I'm sorry, you feel that way is not an apology. Um, fine, sorry, are you happy now is not an apology. We have room to grow. Listen, Peloton stock, you know, when they issued that bad apology and they recognized that we could probably improve in our PR skills, tanked like 9% that day. It, it took a toll. right? Uh, getting this thing right or wrong takes a toll relationally. We're going to hear a story this morning where we recognize that when we get this thing wrong vertically, there can be lifelong, even eternal consequences to this. So I'd like to share the story with you from Acts chapter 5, and uh, you can follow along on your phones or in a paper Bible. The words are on the screen. Acts 5 starts off, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, they also sold a piece of property, coming back to that, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the property for him, or of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, what do we, what do we just read? Acts chapter 5, it starts off, and the Jesus movement is really taking, taking off. I would want to say, like, the Jesus movement is going viral, but I'm not sure we can, like, say viral in it yet. We haven't gotten there yet. But it's really on the move. It's gaining momentum, right, in chapter, chapter 5. And what some people are starting to do is, is sell some stuff that they have and then offer the money to the apostles. And then the apostles would kind of, like, spread it around to the, to the people that are in need. One guy in particular, Joseph, sells a field, takes the money, gifts it to the apostles. They, they do their thing to whoever had need. And then everybody in the community starts recognizing and celebrating this guy, Joseph. They start calling him, instead of Joseph, Barnabas, which means something like, um, like son of encouragement. I mean, they're celebrating this guy. And, and so like Ananias and Sapphira are looking around going, man, we got a field. We're part of this Jesus movement. How about we sell it and give maybe not all the money, we give some of the money. Now, like, let's get something straight here. They didn't have to sell the field. Nobody was twisting their arm to donate the money. They weren't expected to give 100, 90, 50, even a half a percent of anything. Like, that wasn't on the table. It wasn't expected of them. They just chose to do this but because of their divided heart, they wanted to be generous, but they also wanted to be greedy. Because of their divided heart, they wanted to be loved and celebrated, but they also wanted to indulge themselves. I mean, does that sound like anybody you know? It sounds like me. It sounds like pretty much all of us who live with a divided heart. We want to have our cake, but then we also want to keep it for later. Ananias and Sapphira are all of us. And wouldn't it be great, wouldn't it be amazing if 
Sapphira gently looked her husband in the eye as she hears this plan unfolding and says, dude, you got lettuce in your teeth. (laughs) It's a bad plan. Why would we do that? She doesn't. She moves on. She goes on. Verse 3. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to just human beings but to God. I love in a, in a story how we recognize something about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 5 is a pretty new phenomenon. Like Acts 2, the Spirit came down and like the, the flame thing on top of each of their heads. So we're starting to like learn more about the Spirit. And honestly, in our context today, we could probably stand to learn a little bit more about the Spirit. And so I just want to kind of highlight a little like Holy Spirit 101 kind of stuff and, and offer that Peter recognizes that the Spirit can be lied to. The Holy Spirit is a person. Uh, It's not just a Star Wars kind of impersonal force. It's a person that can be lied to and can be uh, wronged and offended that way. A Holy Spirit also, you've not lied uh, to people, but to God. The Holy Spirit is fully God, right? So the people, we're all learning these sort of things together. I like that that Peter uh, calls out what's happening and he doesn't just recognize like, oh man, you just, you, you have like kind of a greedy heart or a divided heart. He, he recognizes the full extent. Ananias, man, the problem, it cuts to the very core of your being. You're like, you're living this double kind of life. And it's no way to live in the Jesus community. It's no way to live before God. Uh, there's this, this old saying that I just, I found so much depth and, and meaning into it. It says that whatever you confess, this works vertically with God or horizontally with others, whatever you confess, you'll be freed from. But whatever you withhold, you will be held responsible for. Ananias was just about to experience the second half of that saying. In other words, you're only as free as the secrets you keep. I'm not a counselor by any stretch of the imagination. I took a couple of pastoral care and counseling classes, uh, a psychology degree that was so long ago, I remember very little of it. So I'm trying desperately to stay in my lane on this. Uh, My role in counseling is often to make a quick uh, and generous referral to some other professionals that I know and have personally been blessed from, and I would love for that uh, to be your experience as well. But I have uh, an observation uh, that I'd just like to share with you on an unprofessional level. Uh, Observation is that when couples come and there's like friction and there's tension and there's just things in their marriage that they can't quite seem to get past, My observation is whatever the thing was that led to the cycle of events that brought them into my office that day, no matter how painful that thing was, no matter how embarrassing that thing was, uh, no matter what 
it was, it, is almost never as bad as the lies, the deceit, the cover-up, the living a double kind of life that came after. Like in about 11 years of doing this, what I have noticed is more often, it's not the thing itself that couples just struggle with this relationally. It's the hiding after that. If only you would have just told me when it happened and I didn't have to hear from her or I didn't have to find out this way. You're only as free as the secrets you keep. And Ananias has been found like holding the bag of his own responsibility and, and he has to pay for it. Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? I just want to interrupt the story right now and just highlight how she has a golden opportunity just to come clean. I think as we talk about getting this thing right, this apology thing right, this I'm sorry thing right, we would also have to recognize that the reason some of us haven't confessed yet is that we haven't been caught yet. Is that there's a huge difference between being sad that you got caught and being broken over what you've done. And so like take a moment before we finish out the story and put yourself in her shoes and say, is it the reason that I haven't confessed yet? Simply the reason I haven't been caught yet? And I tell myself and I think to myself, I can, I can hide this, I can keep on with this, I can manage this, I can overcome this. If I just work a little bit harder, then nobody will ever have to know. Sapphira looked at Peter. Yes, she said. That is the price. And Peter said to you, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down and died. And then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And the second time, we're told, that great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. It, it's a it's a weird story, right? I mean, it's strange. A part of me, I'm kind of like actually grateful or, or glad uh, that it's included in the Bible, not because it brings any kind of comfort whatsoever. It really doesn't. Um, but it's like one of these stories that is so strange and so bizarre um, to include. You, you think like, well, the only reason why it's included is because it actually happened. I actually like read this story and think like, I think it makes the Bible a little more true, like a little more reliable for me uh, because nobody, if they were making up the story of the Bible, would make up this story to include it, especially as the Jesus movement is just like first taking off. You know, you imagine like the, 
the marketing principle, the PR firm trying to spin this thing, and it's like, oh, great slogan. Come to church. Maybe you'll die. <laughs> Maybe not. You know, I, we don't know. That's the, that's the fun of it. Come on, roll the dice and see what happens. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird, weird story. You know, just trying to like come to terms with it, I guess just a couple of observations, some of which are unrelated to the point, but I came across them and I thought you'd be interested in seeing them as well. It's that um, highlighting that Peter did not pronounce judgment on Ananias and Sapphira. Sometimes as Christians, sometimes as Jesus followers, we mix that up. Like we think it's our job uh, to pronounce the judgment Uh, God put us in community together, in groups together, in church together to help identify the lettuce in our teeth or or the zipper, you know, in our soul, like those character defects, those sins inside of us. God put us in community to help identify those things, but not to pronounce the final judgment on those things. That's important. I think when Ananias like flopped down dead, he was Peter was just as surprised as everybody else in that room because he was just identifying the fault, the lettuce, the defect, the sin. He wasn't pronouncing judgment because it's not the church's job to pronounce the final judgment on somebody's life. And honestly, some of you carry around some bad church experience because you've been to a community or you've been to a church where somebody has pronounced their final judgment on you. And I just want to own that and say that's not how it's supposed to be. But it's God's role to do that, and he gets to do that. And so we can recognize that God is at least as gracious as we are. We can recognize that God does what he can to do right eternally by all of humanity. He is good and he is generous. And we look at a story like this and we start to see like, God, how, how could you? That's so outsized, that's so cruel. And I was reading one commentator about that, and it just really struck me. The commentator about it said, you know what? I don't think the surprise, I don't think the surprise is that Ananias and Sapphira were called into judgment at that moment. I think the surprise is that we are allowed to go on every single day for our whole lives, taking breath after breath after breath, not having the judgment of God called in. It's grace every single moment of our lives. They plugged into something that day. Like putting a fork in an electrical outlet. There's power there to do incredible things. But when you misuse that power and you, and you plug into the Holy Spirit power of, of God's power. Well, shocking wouldn't be the right word for it, but, but it is a little, right? Um, I want to, I guess... Offer some final thoughts as, as to how we in the, in the Jesus community um, kind of put a story like this, like this together. Um, and learning from them as this cautionary tale of getting these words, I'm sorry, right. Because I would love very much for you to have your best relational year yet. And I know that that hinges on not holding back and being held responsible for it, but early and honest, offering that genuine apology. No, no, this is the part that I can own in this. This is my defect. This is the lettuce on my heart. This is, this is my sin, and I'm sorry for it. Like parents, if I could talk to you, those of you who plan one day on being parents, those of you who have a parental role 
in somebody else's life, a niece, a nephew, somebody who looks up to you. Some of the most wise advice that I got, thank goodness it was somewhat early on, uh, but it, it came on, a, on the heels of a very bad mistake. You see, uh, my kid, my youngest, uh, he liked to, he had a phase that he went through for a while where he would, he would take things. And it was kind of cute at first, if I'm honest, which is probably not helping the situation because we probably accidentally celebrated it. But he would take little things around the house like tape dispensers and kids love tape. Like, what is that? Anyway, and he would like hide them in his room and, uh, and we'd find them later and it was a little cute, but it's like, hey, you shouldn't take things that don't belong to you. Well, it, it, pretty soon, like he started recognizing he got a bigger reaction when they got, took a bigger thing. And so it kind of grew into taking things like power cords and car keys and we started becoming late regularly for things that we were supposed to go to, um, I kind of hit a boiling point. And this is one of, the, one of the things that I think parents like struggle with the most, at least in my experience, is that, like losing our temper or overreacting to something. And that, that was me. So I decided, you know, if he's going to take something from me, I'm going to take something from him. <laughs> Not exactly my finest parenting moment. Okay, let's just own that. I was sleep-deprived at the time, but I'm not backing away from the apology, okay? I'm, I'm sorry. But as I'm, like, taking things away from it, he takes something, I take something, and I'm just, like, emptying out his whole room. And my wife is like, Are you, would you take his bed? Because it's about the only thing he has left, and I'm like, we're taking it all until he... Well, eventually we got past this, and he stopped doing it, and we, you know, figured each other out a little bit better, grew out of it, you know, um, Despite my efforts, not because of them, I'm sure, but uh, we, got to a, we got to a better place. And it was like weeks later, months later, where uh, he says, hey, uh, you know, parents, I can't find my favorite stuffy. Spoiler alert, his name is Dog, and he's a dog. Uh, I can't find him anywhere. You know, I looked all over. I looked under my bed, you know, in the closet, and I can't find him. And it's like, well, I'm sure he's around here somewhere. And so we tore the house upside down. Still couldn't find him. Pretty soon we recognized, I don't think he's in the house. And so we retrace our steps over the last week or two. We're calling everywhere. Hey, have you seen a lost dog? Not a real one. It's a stuffed one. You know, it's like a husky, I think. I don't know. It's pretty worn. We go on eBay and we're trying to like find an old used one to like replace the one that we lost, thinking it's like a goldfish situation. You could switch them out without him ever noticing. He immediately notices, right? Not good enough. Where's, where's dog? You know, where's my stuffy? And we're like, I have no idea. Where the, you know, son, you probably just, you know, lost it somewhere along the way. And, you know, that happens. Take better care of your things. You know, that sort of thing. Well, it was like a month later. And my wife, because she notices things that need attention around the house, she's cleaning the closet out. And she sees in the back on the top shelf, I think that's Dog. And she asked me, as the only one over six feet in our house, I think maybe you put dog, like, on the top shelf in the back, and then is it possible that you maybe forgot where you put him? <laughs> I think that's probably accurate. Yeah, that's a good, you know, summation of, of the events that transpired. What do you think you have to do now? And some of the wisest advice that I think I received 
is somebody telling me, as a parent, somebody who's going to be a parent, somebody to which other kids look up to you, offer the apology. Because your kids will one day recognize that you're not perfect. Whether you want them to or not. And in fact, your kids will one day come to find out that they're not perfect. And on that day, wouldn't it be good for them to know that mom and dad aren't either? Is that when the people in your life finally figure out that they're flawed, that they have character defects, that there is sin in their life, wouldn't you love for them to know that the expectation is not perfection, but forgiveness? And the path to forgiveness looks like two words. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like I said, I want this to be your most successful relational year ever. And we know how it begins. With two words. I'm sorry. We don't get this right nearly enough. I'll tell you, there's a, there's a group who does, though. Friends of mine in the recovery community, like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, recognize this. Recognize how very close we all are to inviting hell into our lives and the lives of everyone everywhere around us. And we're all in that same boat. It's just some of us don't quite recognize it or not, that we're all one decision away. We're one choice away. If it's you and that's your particular affliction, it's one drink away, again, from inviting hell into your life and the lives of every single person around. And so there's this constant, like, God help me, God help me, God help me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. There's a recognition of dependence. And so if you're in that community, you're going to recognize this as the fourth step. But for the rest of us, if you're not, it looks like this. Our next step, your next step, is to do a fearless and searching moral inventory. Where am I flawed? Where do I have the lettuce on the teeth of, of my heart? Where is my defect? Where is my sin? And then number two is that I confess my defects to God, myself, and one other person. And it's important to get that one other person. Right? Because oftentimes it just stays between us because I don't want to let anybody else know. But if you identify that flaw, if you identify that unique to you kind of sin, the temper, the lust, the undisciplined tongue, whatever it might be, bring it to God for forgiveness. Bring it to somebody else for healing and restoration. This looks like, this looks like going to a close friend, but it doesn't have to be a close friend. Going to a spouse, but it doesn't have to be a spouse going to a trusted counselor, but it doesn't have to be a trusted counselor, but God, myself, and one other person. And then step three is that I do whatever I can to make right what I have made wrong. If you do that searching, that fearless 
and searching moral inventory and you just don't come up with much at all, it starts with a, just a two-word prayer. Break me. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Once more, I want this to be your most successful relational year yet, and it begins with those two words, I'm sorry. I want this to be the most successful relational year, horizontally and vertically. Gracious God, you have met us here. You have met us in our faults, in our defects, in our sin. God, you know our hearts infinitely better than we know them. And so you know those unique ways that we cut ourselves off from you, that we cut ourselves off from life. We recognize our dependence on you, Jesus. And right now in this holy moment, we are so eternally grateful that every time we come before you once more with those two words, I'm sorry, you meet them with two words of your own you're forgiven. God, thank you for meeting us where we are. And thank you for loving us enough not to leave us there. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.